Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hey, folks, before we talk to Ben Cohen from The Banter, listen to this quick word from ZipRecruiter. 2020, a new year. It's the perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. But finding qualified candidates can be challenging. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there with their powerful matching technology. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes and finds people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one, spotlighting the top candidates so you never miss a great match. It's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Broadcasting from Resistance Headquarters. Relentlessly fighting back against the clown dictator and his regime of deplorables. Never give up, never surrender. This is the Bob Seska Show. Presented by BubbleGenius.com. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, January 8, 2020, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. My guest today is one of my favorite people, and I say that not just because he's been my editor at The Banter since 2012. Today we're chatting with the great Ben Cohen about Trump and Iran, as well as Facebook's horrendousness and the status of digital publishing in the age of social media. You can follow Ben Cohen on Twitter at The Daily Banter and through the Banter newsletter at thebanter.substack.com. Links in the description. And if you like what you hear, please consider supporting this show by subscribing to our bonus content at bobseskashow.com. All right, get ready. Let's catch up with my friend, the great Ben Cohen. Hey, Bob. Hey, there he is. How are you, my friend? I'm great. Thanks, Bob. Sorry about the delay on this. I had to go through about a 25 million <laughs> verification hey, process look, to, to get on. I, you know, I know the, the Skype update process is it seems like every time I open up Skype, it's got to update. Right. And then it's for, and then I 
put in the password and it says that's not your password and and anyway i'm here sorry my Wonderful. apologies well you know i'm so grateful that you've decided to come on today uh because i originally had rude pundits scheduled for today so rude was oh going to be on and we were going to talk about all of this going on with iran and then uh rude couldn't make it so then i got charles johnson from little green footballs then he couldn't make it then i tried to get buzz and buzz was busy writing his copy for tomorrow's buzz Burbank news and comment and so that's how we're here together today ben cohen <laughs> so thank you no worries okay so you know i want to talk with you about a few things today but um let's start with the obvious topic uh what's your uh, what's your take what's your reaction on the events of the past couple of days well i mean i think it's we've come to learn over the past uh, three years to expect the unexpected and to expect disaster at every yeah. turn imaginable uh, so it sadly wasn't um surprising mm-hmm. at all um what was that you know what did you say you're you're, you're you're shocked but not surprised or is it the other way around I forget <laughs> well one. yes it's interchangeable either one of those things interchangeable, yeah. interchangeable. <laughs> i i mean you know it's uh, a again another completely un, uncalled for disaster yeah uncalled for chaos absolutely no there's there was absolutely no reason for this whatsoever no not at all and, it was basically just another kind of another episode of the Mad King um, uh, <laughs> creating creating absolute pandemonium wherever he goes. Whatever he does, you can expect disaster. You can expect chaos. Yeah, and I don't know if there's any logic to that. Well, I don't think there is logic to it. No, not of course not. What, the, what he's doing here, uh, I wrote about this uh, for Salon yesterday. And uh, it's something that we saw with North Korea in 2017, where he thought, okay, look, if I act like a crazy person, if I act like an unhinged maniac who's ready to launch nuclear weapons at the drop of a hat, maybe they'll get scared enough of me to acquiesce to everything I want. So what ends up happening is he gets a bunch of meetings with Kim Jong-un, achieves nothing, elevates Kim Jong-un, makes mm. uh, reduces the integrity of the United States at the same time by elevating this murderous dictator. And then ultimately, Kim Jong-un is back to what, doing what he was doing before. So mission accomplished. Great job. Great job, yeah. Donald Trump. A- absolutely nothing accomplished. And I think right. it's the same thing with, with, with Iran. Uh, you know, I, I uh, we covered this in the bounds with the North Korea um, episode where yeah. um, I think I wrote a piece about um, he, he's entered he entered negotiations with North Korea not understanding what he was negotiating right. or what he had to negotiate with so he made all these concessions and made all these offers uh, and all the everybody around him um, after it was done basically said yeah actually we're not going to do that <laughs> um, so yeah, because he did. didn't know he had no idea what he could offer and what he couldn't offer yeah um so i think he thinks maybe there's some going to be some grand bargaining with iran um but given he doesn't read doesn't know anything <laughs> about iran probably couldn't spot it on a map yeah. uh has no understanding of the history uh of the country of the region mm. um he's going to enter negotiations uh, with a country, a very, very sophisticated country, in fact, in, in many, many ways. It's that they're a highly sophisticated country, highly sophisticated culture. Yeah. And the leadership, you, you, I'm not 
a fan of the Iranians or think they're good guys, the, the leadership, but they're not stupid. And I think we've seen that play out over the last uh, 12, 24 hours, uh, because what they did with last night's uh, missile strike mm. is they offered up Trump a, a way to wiggle out of all of this, to save face and to walk away, uh, because they could have inflicted mass casualties if they wanted to. I mean, they were, in fact, because we took out Qasem Soleimani, they could have done something that was proportionate to that. They could have murdered one of our officials using uh, whatever their version, whatever whatever weapon they choose. And uh, instead, they didn't do that. Instead, they hit air bases in a way that killed nobody. And right. that gives Donald, that sends Donald Trump the signal that we're escalating because we have no choice but to escalate, but we're escalating in a nonviolent way, ultimately. We're, we're, we're escalating in a way that doesn't amount to any deaths. So that gives you an opportunity to say, well, no one was killed, and because no one was killed, we're backing down. And that appears to be the message that Trump I, I, well, I hesitate to say Trump got that message because Trump didn't get that message. Someone who's very smart inside his administration, one of his advisors or several of his advisors said to him, this is language. <laughs> Iran sent you a message with this uh, missile strike last night. Uh, take the message. Take it for what it is and, and let's de-escalate this. And that appears to be what he's done. But here's something I wrote this for uh, the banter. And this is uh, going to be in my piece for for later today or tomorrow. Uh, ben, here's a preview of, of what I wrote in this piece. Yes, Trump managed to avoid war by leading us to the very brink of it. While ultimately avoiding war, I don't think this clusterfuck ought to be considered a win. And here's why. The most positive outcome we can hope for is a considerably worse relationship with Iran than we had before Trump. It's yes. not it's not even a lateral move. It's a giant step backward. The very best case scenario in all of this is another agreement that's far weaker than the old Iran deal at best. And we only need right. to bungle our way into a military showdown against a well-equipped nation that's larger and more powerful than Iraq. Good job, Donald Trump. Very well done. Absolutely perfect. Like that, you yeah. perfectly encapsulated the the kind of idiocy of this move that that, that he's done. Yeah, um, I think that it's also a, a massive recruiting tool for for ISIS and for every other person in the Middle East who mm. hates America. Yeah, right. Because they're like, okay, you know, look at what the Americans have done. Right. This yeah. is this is they have basically basically made uh, the situation in the Middle East or in Iran um, and Syria worse. Right. He's pulled out of Syria. Um, he's allowing um, ISIS to, to kind of regain a foothold in, in Syria. Mm. And then now he's hit the Iranians. He's now created massive uh, resentment in Iran towards the towards the United States, more yep. so than was before. Mm -hmm. And for what? It basically guarantees that Iran is going to further its, its nuclear ambitions. They're going to step away from the, 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 the Iran nuclear deal is all, almost dead anyway. Um, and, and Trump has effectively killed it. And this doesn't mean that the Iranians are not going to further their nuclear ambitions. It means they're going to escalate them. It's going to speed yep. them up. Yep. So you get a, a more potent Iran. You get more resentment towards the United States. You get an emboldened ISIS. Mm -hmm. And you get a recruiting tool for the hardliners all around the region. Jesus. So what's the win? Where's the win? Yeah, yeah, there is not. In fact, if you rewind three years, you go back to where we were three years ago in January of 2017. There was a deal in place. It, there was a 15-year term, no nuclear weapons development in that 15-year term. And uh, here we are three years later 
where we don't have that deal. So now a 15-year term has turned into a zero-year term, and now officially so because Iran, because of Donald Trump, Iran has pulled out of the JCPOA. So that is no longer even a thing anymore. So the very best we can hope for is something that is probably far worse than the JCPOA ever was. And that's what's going to come out of this. And that's the best. Again, as I said, that is the best case scenario. That is the absolute best we can wish for. And in fact, what could very well happen is no deal at all. So again, Donald Trump has led us through all of this mayhem, all of these steps, as you said, emboldening uh, hardliners and plus maybe activating terror cells. I mean, we don't know what the Shiite freelancers are going to do, whether it's in the region or internationally. So there's all kinds of downsides to this. Yes, we avoided war. There is not going to be a war this week (laughs) with Iran. Doesn't mean there's not going to be one a year from now or six months from now or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm curious to to, to know what what do you think about the um the republican reaction to this like what, what's your sort of take on it i'm mean, really eager to i can't i'm really looking forward to reading your your piece later on um but since you know uh, since i can talk to you now about it I, i'd love to hear what you think about how the republicans have responded to this what, what what's going on in their kind of republican group think well, obviously, um, you know, it's not as uh, cohesive as it used to be. I mean, it's just strange seeing uh, Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson taking two very different approaches to all of this uh, on Fox News Channel, where Tucker is against everything that's going on, and Sean Hannity wanted to start bombing, you know, three days ago. He wanted to start bombing Tehran and, and, and hitting the nuclear sites and everything like that. Meanwhile, I don't know if you saw this, Ben, but uh, just before we we started chatting today there was a briefing in a skiff up in on the senate side where trump administration officials uh, took all of their alleged intelligence about soleimani and we're going to present it to uh, senators and uh, first of all uh, tim kane came out and right. call, called the evidence a far cry from an imminent threat but tim kane's reaction wasn't nearly as negative as Rand Paul and Mike Lee, especially Mike Lee, who said that the the briefing was probably the worst briefing, at least on a military issue that he's ever seen. Well, yeah, I didn't see that. Yeah, that's that's kind of an amazing thing there. And, And that's just showing what's happening here with Donald Trump. Donald Trump thought that this was going to not only keep us from talking about impeachment, but also was going to potentially propel him to victory in November with all kinds of new enthusiasm with, uh, you know, obviously the, the commander in chief powers of the presidency uh, are, are things that can, in fact, as we saw with George W. Bush can, in fact, propel presidents to a second term. Uh, that's not going to happen here. I, obviously, the Republicans are split on this. This is a lose for Donald Trump. The only, I mean, again, the only victory in this is, no, we're not at war. But then again, we weren't at war a month ago. So, so it's just where we were uh, exactly but, one month ago. But yeah, where we were, but a bit worse off. But yeah. like significant. Sign- yeah. Kind of we, we, we had a more more contentious relationship with Iran mm-hmm. and there's volatility in the Middle East. So, yeah, yeah it's it, 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 I, it, I mean, it completely, it doesn't baffle me. It doesn't, it really doesn't, uh, you know, he's a, he's a chaos merchant. Yeah. 
Um, and, and what I found really interesting uh, was, was I did find Tucker Carlson's reaction really, really interesting. I, yeah. I wrote a piece about this uh, for the banter on um, Monday. Mm-hmm. You know, he had this long screed on Friday about how it was, all, you know, this is what Washington wants and this is a really dangerous move. And look at all these kind of deranged neocons who are beating their chest for war. Um, but. Tucker Carlson, I mean, my this was my thought on Tucker Carlson's rant. Tucker, I think that Tucker Carlson knows that this is very dangerous territory for Trump. I don't think he cares one way or the other about Iranians yeah. or anybody who isn't a white American. Um, so, you know, so Tucker Carlson had this kind of, le- this whole uh, huge kind of, he, he really, really went after the neocons. But interestingly, he didn't go after Trump. He said that this is all the fault of the neocons around Trump. This is all the fault of the Democrats um, and the and the Republican neocons who oh, want to yeah, go to war yeah. with Iraq. But I think it's I think he knows that Trump's base, right? It's this new sort of um, isolationist, nativist uh, uh, sort of um, base that Trump has uh, tapped into. Yeah, the, the non-interventionist uh, libertarian wing of the party, but like, yeah. But kind of like white, they're kind of like ethno-nationalists, you know, so they're, mm-hmm. they're concerned about keeping America pure and not getting involved in dirty countries with, yeah. you know, people with lighter skin, than, you know, with darker skin than themselves. Right. Um, and I think that Tucker Carlson was trying to basically, he was he was a coded message to Trump saying, don't do this because you're going to lose your base if you do this. <laughs> That's exactly damn right. And, you know, it was interesting to uh, hear Donald Trump in this statement as he was standing there delivering these remarks today. Uh, he made a point of lying about the original Iran deal like he always does. Right. He was lying stop, about stop. that. The one point five billion dollars or whatever amount of money that he was making up, claiming that money uh, was just money that we gave them. And first of all, if that had actually been the case, I want to make perfectly clear the fact that if we had just given Iran $1.5 billion or whatever the, the amount happens to be, if we had offered them that money to stop developing nuclear weapons. There's nothing outside the realm of normal foreign policy to pay off a nation to do something that we want them to do. But the fact is that we didn't actually pay Iran to do this. There was nothing that was an exchange of cash other than releasing money that was tied up in sanctions. Right. The nuclear. This is according to factcheck.org. The nuclear agreement included China, France, Germany, Russia, the UK, the United States and the EU. So Obama didn't carry out any part of this on his own. First of all, this wasn't America giving money to Iran. The deal did lift some sanctions, which lifted a freeze on Iran's assets that were held largely in foreign, not U.S. banks. And to be clear, the money that was unfrozen belonged to Iran. It had only been made inaccessible by sanctions aimed at crippling the country's nuclear program. Secondly, $150 billion, I guess that was the amount that Donald Trump keeps talking about, $150 billion is a high-end estimate of the total that was freed up after some sanctions were lifted. U.S. Treasury Department estimates uh, put the number at about $50 billion in usable liquid assets, according to a 2015 testimony from Adam Zubin acting undersecretary of treasury for terrorism and financial intelligence. So there it is. Suck at Donald Trump. None of this really is true. What he keeps saying, right? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> we should have come, we, we come to expect this. <laughs> so now, obvious. Right? It's yeah, just a nonstop stream of lies that whatever <laughs> yeah. he says, 
it, you can't ever take it seriously. But no. the problem is, is how it gets filtered through. You know, he's not saying it. He's not speaking to us. That's the thing that I find the most kind of um, difficult to come to sort of come to terms with, yeah. with, with this guy's presidency is that he simply doesn't care what intelligent, rational, um, decent people think. He's mm. not talking to us. Right. Anybody listening to this podcast, Donald Trump is not speaking to you. Nope. He's speaking to his base always. That's the only people he's talking to. Um, and he's feeling, you know, he, it doesn't matter whether he lies. He can make up anything he wants and they will believe what he says. Yeah. Yeah. They'll believe it. So this money um, that, Ob- you know, Obama was giving the Iranians uh, is real to them. It was Obama bribing the Iranians. It was Obama using money from American children. He was stealing money from American children. American children. I love that. That's a really good way to think about it. They're considering it money taken from American children, right? Right, right, right. right. But but it makes no difference whether it's true or not. It just, that, that's the, he knows that he gets the soundbite out. It gets, you know, it reverberates around Twitter with all the kind of from lunatics who follow him. Um, and then all the impression is, is created and then, then it becomes its own reality. It becomes its own thing. And then, you know, the rest of us are, are wringing our hands and saying, well, this is a lie, but the damage is already done. Once the lie gets out, damage is done. We'll get back to our conversation with Ben Cohen here in just a second. But first, everyone's making New Year's resolutions. I've made a couple. But in case you can't think of a good one, here's a suggestion. Resolve to look good in all your social media photos by wiping out all those fine lines, wrinkles, and baggy eyes with Plexiderm. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags in just a matter of minutes. When I took the test, all I had to do was apply this powerful topical serum to my problem areas, and Lord knows I've got a ton of those, and within 10 minutes, it was a new me. And the best part is there's no surgery or Botox involved. It's all natural. Simply put, I was blown away by the results. Ring in 2020 with confidence knowing Plexiderm is going to give you smooth, younger looking skin in just minutes. The best part is the best part is it goes on clear. So nobody's going to know you're using it. Leave your under eye bags and wrinkles in 2019 with Plexiderm. Go to triplexiderm.com. Use my code sexy liberal for 50% off. 50% off plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code SEXYLIBERAL. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com today. Use the code SEXYLIBERAL at checkout. That's triplexiderm.com, code SEXYLIBERAL. Thank you. The Bob Seska Show. And the other thing is that the Donald Trump... Uh, has a superbly twisted view of the American presidency. He's not a guy who spent many years in academia studying the nuances of the Constitution and presidential powers, and no one's really fully prepared to actually be president. There are many, many people who are on deck to become president who have a sense of what the presidency is really all about. Donald Trump doesn't have that. Donald Trump's view of the presidency is one that's been distorted through the prism of Fox News Channel and AM Talk Radio, and to a certain extent, the internet, but not really. Uh, maybe a little bit of Twitter, but mostly it's Fox News Channel. And so yeah. Donald Trump believes that all presidents lie. 
This is just something presidents do, and everybody assumes that, yeah, presidents are going to make shit up. Barack Obama made shit up. George W. Bush made shit up. In fact, Donald Trump thought George W. Bush should have been impeached for lying us into war. He's actually on record on video saying that. Saying that, right. Yeah, yeah. So he believes this kind of behavior that he's exhibiting is not all that unusual from the behavior of other presidents, whether it's the lying or, or anything else. He just believes that, uh, yeah, it's, I'm well within my right to act however I want to act because that's how all presidents act. All presidents are unhinged maniacs. All presidents use the madman theory on the international stage, pretending that they're about to bomb someone and they p- pull back from the brink at the last minute. This is how he looks at the world and looks at his job, and it is imminently twisted but the the damage here isn't in in his actual behavior the damage is in the interpretation of his behavior by his supporters what he is doing is he is poisoning 40 to 45 percent of american voters into believing that this is really how it should be done and then it's not okay i mean i've got a, a a friend of mine who's a trump supporter and this is the conversation that kind of i have with him very very often yeah. that I mean, as you just basically laid out, um, that Trump is legitimizing lying and um, uh, you know, making things up on the spot because all presidents do that, that both sides do yeah, this, right? right? And and this is the argument that my Trump-supporting friend uses, that he's like, you know, look, um, all presidents kind of tell mistruths. All presidents make stuff up. You know, it was like all, the whole- All presidents do quid pro quos with foreign countries. All pre- yeah. <laughs> presidents no, that, trade military no, aid for election help. That That's why they're um, zeroing in on um, Hunter Biden. You know, that's why they're yeah. saying, look, well, you know, there was a, you know, he was doing all sorts of shady things with Ukraine and mm-hmm. it doesn't matter that, you know, Hunter Biden isn't running for president. Um, Joe Biden isn't president. Um, that, you know, he technically, not that I agree with a lot of the stuff that Hunter Biden has, has done. I think it's, I do, you know, I have my issues with that, but I don't think he's done anything illegal at all. Um, but, um, <clears throat> you know, it's, they, they keep trying to create these, um, equivalences, right? Yeah. That everything that Trump does, that's awful. The Democrats have done something just as bad and they, they basically make things up. They make things up to mm-hmm. make it seem like the Democrats are just as bad as Donald Trump. Yeah. And so to unpack the logic, right, it's like, you know, my friend will point to all these like, well, what about Hillary Clinton and Benghazi? Or what about Hillary Clinton, the Clinton Foundation? Mm-hmm. And then you have to go through, you know, the Clinton Foundation and the, all that all that nonsense, all the conspiracy theories around the Clinton Foundation. Um, and you have to kind of debunk that. And by the time you're, you've got done debunking the Hillary Clinton um, and the Clinton Foundation conspiracy theories, you've forgotten what the point was in the first place. Yeah. Right? Which is sort of, which is why they've been effective at kind of gaslighting the public. So mm. you get so caught up, they change, you know, the Trump supporters change the subject. So they're all, first of all, we're talking about Trump doing something wrong. Then all of a sudden, we talk, I got trapped in a conversation about um, the Kennedys. <laughs> oh, shit, really? Yeah, and and after about you know fifteen minutes, I'm thinking, why am I talking about the goddamn Kennedys? What have they got to do with <laughs> Donald Trump 
um, trying to have a quid pro quo with Ukraine. What was What's- it, the Chicago thing where uh, Joseph Kennedy got some mob friends to uh, stuff some uh, ballot boxes in Chicago? Yeah, Is that what yeah, they're talking it, about? It, yeah. Right, right, right. And and I got kind of sucked into that. And and uh, but then after what I just thought, hold a second. What? I, there's no reason for me to be talking about this. We're talking about Donald <laughs> Trump. So yeah. now, every time he brings something like this up, I'm like, oh, I didn't realize they were pre- that person was president. Like, uh, what? You know, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that that this, you know, Joe Kennedy was is president of the United States. <laughs> right, right. Uh, um. So so, but. But you have to kind of stay on message. Like it's like trying to have a debate with Kellyanne Conway. Kellyanne yeah. Conway is kind of, he's kind of not, that. That's the sort of um, the 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 protocol, right? That's the that's the Trump supporter protocol is to do do the Kellyanne Conway. Is yeah. To talk about everything other than the issue that you're supposed to be talking about. Yeah, it's it's goalpost moving and some of the most insufferable behaviors that you see in like a YouTube commenter. And that's kind of Kellyanne Conway. She's a she's a like a Twitter troll. She's just yeah, like Donald Trump. Trump in that way. Right. And 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 it makes it incredibly difficult um to have a um normal discussion about this stuff because we we can have discussions about this stuff internally with other kind of non-trump supporters and other rational people but there is no the national conversation now is is there is there isn't really a national conversation there is just trump supporters and then the rest of the country Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of split now between a kind of uh uh, non-reality and reality there's a reality-based discussion and a non-reality-based discussion yeah but 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 unfortunately, the kind of non-reality base has it, it appears to have grown mm-hmm. um, <laughs> or solidified now. I mean, I think you had Trump. I mean, Fox News kind of laid the foundation for it. Yeah. But uh, it, Trump has come in and kind of dragged it into a completely different, a uh, completely new level. Yeah. Of of unrealness now well, that the that is is now that's where they kind of exist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and it's it's kind of it's unreachable and it, it's really sad. But I you know my my thoughts on this as soon as Trump appeared, I'm like, okay, this needs to be uh, this needs to be smashed. Yeah, this this can't be negotiated with. This can't we can't you can't talk to you can't talk to it. You can't just negotiate nothing. Yeah. It has to be beaten. It has to be eliminated from. Um, I think it's as uh, um, who's John Mc, John McCain's um, ex uh, campaign. Oh yeah, Steve Steve Schmidt. Or yeah, Steve Nicole. Schmidt. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, Steve Schmidt basically said he's like the current Trump, uh, the current Republican Party needs to be burned to the ground. Yeah, well, that's absolutely what needs to happen. Shy of that, I I think we can fix all of this shit as long as Donald Trump becomes a point of humiliation to his supporters where they are suddenly embarrassed to say that they once went to a rally with a red hat on and cheered for Donald Trump. And to me, that's the only way that we're going to rebottle this madness is if, because you're never going to convince them using facts and logic and reason that's never going to occur. So all that's left is, well, you got fear and embarrassment. I don't know what it is. I mean, do you have any concept whatsoever as to, in terms of what can be done about this guy that will stuff him back into his box once and for all? You know what, Bob? I was just literally just about to ask you the same question. <laughs> I- yeah, because I don't know. I, that's my answer. Any idea what yeah. that could be? I mean, my my inkling is that there is nothing yeah. uh, 
that could happen to the guy that would shame his supporters anymore. Mm. Um, and, and I think that he has to, it like a victory against this guy is going to be really messy. It's going to be really difficult yeah. and it's going to be really messy and it's not going to be as complete as we hope it's going to be that he gets beaten through, um, a mass organization through, through, you know, uh, very, very disciplined, whoever becomes the nominee, <laughs> has to be extremely well funded, yeah. extremely well organized. The you know the Democrats have to get their the party has to really shift into gear, um, and and get um, pump as much money and organ and organizers and um, you know media campaigns as they can into the swing into the swing states, and they right. ha- and they have to grind out a victory against this guy. It yeah. has to be ground out, um, literally doorstep by doorstep. Right. Voter by voter has to, uh, you know, take the presidency away from this guy. That's right. Uh, and, and I think that's the only way really to beat to beat him, you know, and it's and it's through the ballot. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, getting rid of the Republicans in the Senate. Hopefully the Democrats can have a chance of I think they do have a, a reasonable chance of flipping the Senate. Yeah. Um, and but that comes down to uh, you know mass organization, you know, so and that's really the only way to beat this guy. Yeah. And, and once he's beaten um then he's a loser right right uh, that 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 helps you know that helps that, basically that's a really good way to look at it because i think a, a catastrophic election loss for donald trump uh this year would right. go a long way toward that humiliation it wouldn't be ultimately the humiliation that makes him skulk off the stage and go away forever but right. I, I think it'll be enough to start to winnow that crowd of, of red hats and say, well, you know, I didn't really like him in the first place because they see that he's really not all about winning. He's, he's just really a, a whiny bastard who's ultimately a loser and who wouldn't have won in the first place if he hadn't received Russian help. Yeah. And I also think that, um, you know, uh, he, he should go to jail and there should be yeah. no presidential pardon. Yep. Um, if a Democrat wins, then no Democrat should pardon him. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's still in serious shit. There's still, <laughs> there are a lot of investigations happening. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, c- continuing investigations going into serious wrongdoings. I think it's, you know, in the Southern district of New York, uh, that could land him in jail yeah. and, um, good, you know, he should go to jail. Right. He should go to jail for what he's done. And everybody around him who enabled him should go to jail. Yeah. And along those lines, I've been saying on the show for a while now that he's opened that possibility himself. And I'm not just talking through his crimes. I'm talking about opening up the political tradition, the presidential tradition now that it once was that presidents don't investigate previous presidents until Donald Trump. Donald Trump has decided in this past year, I forget exactly when this started, but I I think it was sometime around uh, maybe midsummer or so, certainly within Bill Barr's term as uh, attorney general, that we're now going to investigate the Obama administration and uh, we're going to use this guy, uh, John Durham in uh, Connecticut to investigate the Obama administration for their Russia investigate. We're going to investigate the investigators. I don't think the Democrats should be uh, cautious whatsoever about about um, using power. Mm. I think one of the fundamental mistakes that the Democrats make when it comes to dealing with Republicans that, uh, and Trump uh, is it, 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 it's about power, right? That the Republicans yeah. care only about power. Mitch McConnell cares only about power. 
Donald Trump cares only about power, yeah. right? So they will do things. They will, they will smash conventions. Um, they will completely rip up the rule book uh, and do whatever they want because they can. Yeah. You know, they can ram through Supreme Court nominees because they can, right? You know, Mitch McConnell uh, uh, blocked um, Obama's nominee. No, uh, darling, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, because yeah, because he could, because it was an it was clearly an abuse of power, but he had the power and he abused it, and I think that the Democrats need to uh, be very very cognizant of this yeah. uh, going forward, and and that they should basically do- give Republicans a dose of their own medicine. Yeah, right. Yeah. That, well, that, that that's the precedent now. <laughs> Thanks, Mitch right, McConnell. Yeah, it's a it's a game of power, and mm-hmm. whoever is in power then gets to make the rules. So now yeah. the Democrats, what if they can get themselves elected? Um, should not have ap- they should have absolutely no qualms whatsoever about doing exactly what the Republicans did to them. Do it, you know, definitely do it legally, but don't, um, you know, uh, feel bad for one second. Yeah. About you know uh, doing inflicting as much damage on the Republican Party as possible. That's right. Uh, and, and ensuring that they can't get themselves, they can't get elected again. Mm-hmm. You know. There are many steps that they can take to, uh, you know, when it comes to gerrymandering, there's lots of things that they can do with, uh, you know, all all the conservative judicial appointments. Um, I I say, you know, this is war, like it's a war and and the Democrats have got to treat it as such. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And in fact, uh, Mitch McConnell has established new rules for that war, which is to uh, eliminate the filibuster. So, you know, once the Democrats, and it's very likely that the Democrats could in November, not only win the presidency, but win back the Senate and so and keep the House, putting them in a position to be able to push through a bunch of their own judicial nominees, as well as uh, whoever else, Supreme Court nominees and so on, uh, without yeah. any concerns about a Republican filibuster of those things. It's, it's, again, a precedent established by Mitch McConnell is going yeah. to screw Mitch McConnell. Um, there's, you know, I wanted to change gears just a little bit here and talk about um, a, something that I observed on Facebook in the last 24, 48 hours. And I get your reaction to this. I had to issue a warning on my Facebook page, on my Facebook wall, uh, specifically to my Facebook friends, not to post memes in my comments that wish for Iranian counterattacks against Trump and his properties. Now, mind you, obviously, I'm no fan of Donald Trump. I think my record is pretty damn strong on being opposed to Donald Trump, on my disgust with Donald Trump's presidency, with him as a human being, with everything that is surrounding him. However, I think the even if it's intended as a joke, it's bad form to publicly go on to some, especially someone else's Facebook page and to start fantasizing openly uh, about the death of Donald, hoping that our, one of our enemies attacks and, and kills our president or attacks and destroys one of his properties on American soil. It just seems like that's just offering every damn red hat, every Fox News Channel pundit, wide open excuse to say that we're irrational maniacs wishing for the assassination of our own president on American soil. It's just it's a bad idea. And I just wanted to elaborate on that a little more here on the show. I get feel free to scream and fantasize about Donald Trump. 
but mm. don't give the other side an excuse to play the victim. We know these people love to play the No one loves to play the victim more than Donald Trump and his disciples. And this sort of thing will, and I'm talking specifically about, uh, I know there was one meme at least where there was a map of Florida with arrows pointing to Mar-a-Lago saying, hit here, Iran, do this right here, attack them. And uh, I'd say, no, no, I've got to delete this shit. This is bad form. Don't do it. Don't do it. It makes right. us look really bad. Is that was I way off base with that, or is that uh, probably a good oh, policy to have? No, I, I think you're complete. You're you're completely um, spot on about that. You know, I mean, I I, I don't. Yeah, it, it's like uh, you know, the Iranians getting involved in in um, uh, potentially hacking the election. Yeah. You know, in favor of the Democrats, right? Is it's like uh, you know, no, like no, you can't support that. Right. Yeah. I've seen people saying, you know, I support that. Uh, that would be great. You know, get the Iranians to help the Democrats. It's like, you know what? No, because we can't have you can't have a double standard. Right. You can't right. have uh, you can't be opposed to Russian interference in the election uh, because it was against your person, against your preferred candidate. And then before it, when it's, uh, you know, it's a principle right. Right, yeah. That, yeah. That, that matters, you know, and you, we've got to. I think that, you know, to beat Donald Trump, you have to like it's like Obama, right? Obama. I think Obama won against Hillary Clinton and he won against John McCain because he, he genuinely did. Uh, he rose above the, the fray, right? He, he was, he had a lot of dignity. Um, he didn't get involved in the kind of like the nastiness and the pettiness. Um, and he wrote, and he, <clears throat> he won because of that, because he held to onto his principles. And I think that we, you know, we've got to do that. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying don't fight the guy. I'm not saying don't do everything you can in your power to beat this guy. Uh, 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 and ensure Democrats get elected, but it doesn't mean that you become as bad as him, right. or become as bad as his supporters. You, you know, and like, yeah, like I'm not going to say I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily be sad about Donald Trump if someone uh, assassinated Donald Trump. I wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily lose much sleep over it. But I would, I think it would be appalling, and I wouldn't support, yeah. wouldn't support it at all. Right, right. Uh, you, you know, it's not something that any decent person should want to get behind. Whatever happens will happen. We don't need to encourage that shit to happen. Oh, I mean, no, wish course, for him. I mean, fine. Wish for him to do to all kinds of terrible things to happen for him privately, but just don't do it under my name. That's just all I'm asking for. I, I, and, and that's also to say that it's also bad form. But I just I don't want to be associated with that no. because I don't want to get sucked in. I don't want someone. You know, it's very easy to get into a debate on social media, as you know, as we all know. And you get into these heated discussions on Twitter or what have you. And then suddenly someone goes, oh, look at this Facebook status where you do, you let this commenter say something horrible about assassinating Donald Trump. And look at you. You're terrible. And and then you have to walk that back. And and that's just from the practical social media point of view on top of just the this is not how we're supposed to operate. Think about it all you want. Do whatever you want on your own Facebook page. Risk getting uh, banned from Facebook or whatever in the process. But just, uh, again, don't do it on, not on your page. Yeah, no, I, exactly. I, I get it completely. And I have a kind of very pretty strict policy about that yeah. myself. Uh, <clears throat> if people start talking about that kind of stuff, I don't I don't engage with it or right. delete the comments. Well, uh, just because you just don't want to be associated with that type of, you know, you don't want to get down into the, into the, uh, into that kind of Twitter troll 
or, or, or the, you know, the nastiness that can can um, happen when you when you get into these debates. It can right. get personal really, really quickly, and it detracts from the point. It detracts from your your kind of um, your own standing as well, and makes you it just makes you less credible as a person to to listen to. Who's, you yeah. know, to take your opinion seriously. You know, but I mean, speaking of Facebook, though. Um, I don't know if you saw this story because I, I know you've been following uh, Facebook closely from a very similar perspective as I have, which is one of disgust, <laughs> just perpetually disgusted by Facebook. But they, uh, in one of their most recent decisions, they've decided to ban deepfakes, which is, I think, a positive move. But yeah. what they're doing is they're going to continue to allow deepfakes in political ads. The one area where they really need to crack down on deep fakes because there's a strong potential that deep fakes are going to be exploited by foreign trolls to interfere with the election, et cetera, et cetera. There's going to be all kinds of controversies that are going to arise based on deep fake videos. You can see it coming down main street, but Facebook is allowing it to continue with politics. Facebook is the worst. They are. I mean, you know, I, yeah, I definitely welcome that. Uh, not allowing the use of deep fakes. Um, uh, but obviously the, the, the caveat, obviously the blatant caveat there is that it's still okay in political ads, which is ridiculous. I mean, I, yeah. I got to applaud Twitter for this one because Twitter um, banned all political advertising. I think that was a really uh, responsible move. Yeah. Um, and and I think that the, the big danger going, for, going with this election <clears throat> is again it's social media right that's the weak spot that's where all this dis- disinformation can spread mm-hmm. um and the deep fake i mean it's really alarming the technology is like i mean you couldn't tell some of these some of these videos you really couldn't tell if you yeah. didn't know anything about politics and you saw some of these deep fakes you would you would assume that they were real yeah you, you know oh yeah uh, and, and it's it's extre- yeah it's really really worrying because again because a lot of the people who go out who who don't you know the most it's the independents right the people that that I worry about the most are the independents and the independents if you're still an independent at this point in time you're probably not that bright um, <laughs> I, I hate to say that and and uh, you, you know or you're not that politically aware yeah right put it that way or you're not that educated about yeah you're not that educated about politics uh-huh. so you're extremely um vulnerable to manipulation right right so the kind of the people who all the trump supporters you look at the deep fakes you know it doesn't really matter right but the independents who look at this stuff um those are who i worry about mm-hmm. and uh, i think that social media kind of has a responsibility these platforms have a responsibility to cut that out particularly when it comes to something as important as you know the election of the biggest democracy in the world yeah yeah well ultimately um, it's going to come down to these platforms uh self-policing and hopefully they'll do what they need to do before there are all kinds of uh, federal regulations handed down uh, censoring the internet which uh, i'm kind of i'm opposed to that uh, eventuality yeah. so i hope that the i hope twitter i hope facebook i hope all the platforms continue to crack down although i'm less and less confident in facebook's ability to do that uh but i mean with deepfakes, the amazing thing is when it's well done and done for entertainment purposes, it's a lot of fun to look at. I mean, I was just looking at a video on YouTube the other day and just dying laughing. It was a it was a deepfake of George Lucas and, and Harrison Ford. <laughs> 
talking about just things about Star Wars. And it was done by Collider. And it was one of the funniest, most effective uses of deepfakes I'd ever seen because they got a couple of guys, one guy doing an impression of George Lucas, another guy doing an impression of Harrison Ford. And then they deepfaked the faces to look exactly like Harrison Ford and George Lucas. So it really wow. looks like these guys are hamming it up about Star Wars. And it's yeah. so damn funny. But as at the same time, I'm looking at this and I'm going, oh, my God, this could be this could be a disaster. Like I could totally see yeah. someone using deep fakes to create a PP tape and then sending that PP tape out all of the left goes crazy. And we all start sharing the alleged PP tape. And then suddenly, you know, James O'Keefe pops out and goes, ha ha, got you. That was a deep fake. You stupid, stupid liberals. And then we all look like idiots. I can totally see that scenario. And that's one of the more mild scenarios I can imagine. <laughs> There's a lot yeah. worse that they could do. It's it's it really it really is pretty scary, isn't yeah, it? I yeah. mean, it's it's uh, <clears throat> you know the the future of um, of um, online media right. um, uh, manipulation and propaganda and and, and politics. It is, it's it's how all these kind of overlap. It's it's really terrifying, and yeah. I think that the tech companies, that, you know, but I don't know if they can be trusted to to stay to stay uh, to stay ahead of. Um, the manipulators. It's, it's kind yeah. of like cheating in sports, right? It's like the the. Um, oh yeah, like like with doping. Yeah, with, with doping, yeah. it's like the the, uh, the the dopers are like ten steps ahead of the regulators. Way ahead, way ahead of the regulators, you know, and 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 so significant resources. I mean, I think that unless they get their act together, they should they really should be regulated heavily. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I know it kind of sucks. It kind of goes against the whole freedom of the internet thing, but. It, what's happened over the past? What happened in 2016 with Brexit and with uh, you know the election of Donald Trump? I mean that was a serious cr media crisis. That was a, that was yeah. basically you know first of all you had the collapse of of the old media system. Mm -hmm. uh, the internet kind of destroyed the old media system, and then it replaced it with these kind of. Um, I think there was a kind of a golden era maybe of blogs from sort of 2004 to 2008. Yeah, uh, but then after that. <laughs> It, it, it went it went downhill pretty spectacular spectacularly quickly yeah yeah and in fact along those lines um we know obviously uh, kind of what's led us to this point of uh, the banter becoming a newsletter uh and and a lot of it has to do with facebook facebook has decimated online publications not just uh, the yeah. daily banter but but many, many others, and, and, and many of them much larger than the Daily Banter. And because of Facebook's uh, greed and Facebook's ridiculous algorithm, um, there's not only a glut of unemployed political writers <laughs> looking for work, making it yeah. difficult for anyone to get hired because it's just it's in a it's a an employer market where, you know, there's just so many people uh, just waiting for work just in a long, long line, a long bread line, so to speak. But then on top of that, Facebook's algorithm drove all of these publications out of business. And now um, I'm just curious in terms of what you think of the newsletter model that you've moved the banter over to, to now. Um, how's that platform working out for you? How is uh, the newsletter model working? I mean, I think it's great. I absolutely love it. Um, <clears throat> it's a huge relief for, for me. I mean, it was really, really hard when 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 we when we moved off. I really had a hard time giving up the main platform. But yeah. um, you know, there was a sort of a slow um, takeover, really, of mm. of content of what we built in the beginning, yeah. which is slowly 
uh, taken over by Google and Facebook, where um, your all of your traffic came from Google or Facebook, yeah. and all of the monetization came from Google or Facebook. So they control the distribution and they control the monetization. Yeah. So they essentially, you know, you work for Google and Facebook basically, uh, and not for yourself. Um, uh, and I think, and ultimately, when Facebook then decided, right, okay, we're gonna, we are going to destroy your distribution um, capabilities almost overnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just kind of, it was just a reminder. You always, we always knew how vulnerable we were to this kind of stuff, but it was, um, it was okay. Cause you could, you could kind of ride out these algorithm changes and, yeah. uh, and fluctuating ad rates. But the, the fall was so dramatic in 2018, the end of 2017 and beginning of 2018, that it was, uh, it was, it was, it was just devastating. And, yeah. and, uh, it kind of, you know, and, and thank God for these, these new, this new platform or Substack, which is a really genius platform. Um, email um, newsletter platform yeah. that basically gives us same you know a, a really really beautiful publishing uh, system and website uh, that publishes direct to email. There's a, we you know we got the website version and then we but that website version get goes straight out on email too. Yeah, uh, no advertising, no Google, no Facebook, no nothing. We just have we just reach our most committed readers uh, by email. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and you read the email, there's, there's like, it's just the banter. It's just what we want to say rather than what we're, we, we're not trying to use headlines to game Facebook, yeah. uh, the Facebook newsfeed or for SEO for, you know, I couldn't give a shit about SEO or, or, or writing a headline that plays well on, um, on Facebook now. It's just writing, uh, the best content that we can, the best stuff that yeah. we can. Uh, and and having a way more kind of intimate relationship with readers than than we when we ever have, and and not having these giant tech companies have anything to do with it whatsoever. Right. Um, I mean, it's definitely you know I you know I remember when uh, back in the back in the good old days when I, like Ches would call me up um, and I had to talk him talk him off a ledge because one of his articles hadn't played well on uh, on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. Right, because he got addicted. You know, you, you can get addicted to the clicks. Right. Oh my God! And there were so many clicks. I just uh, interject here real quick, man. Before I would say up until late 2013, you would post something on Facebook, a link to an article that you wrote, and the traffic was just seemingly endless. The oh, I should say the potential for traffic was seemingly oh, yeah. endless, and then they started burying outside links so that we'd be encouraged to pay for the same reach that we used to get for free before right yeah and and also with no sort of any no real um information on what the algorithm change was and uh and and how you know how do you how we didn't really understand how it worked and there would be people who claimed they knew how it worked um social media experts who claimed some of them did but i would suspect most of them didn't yeah, understand anything you know they had no idea more than it was you kind of rolling the dice like it's like what's going to play well on facebook mm-hmm. who knows yeah. who knows what's your content strategy on facebook i don't know we're going to try some stuff <laughs> you know i mean mm-hmm. i think some of the most popular stuff on on uh on uh, that played for the banter was things that you know were written in the cut in like 10 minutes and put yeah. out <laughs> 
Yes, much to my chagrin. It always seemed yeah. like the shit that I'd throw together in a couple of minutes with like 300 words would suddenly take off and then I would spend and and this is Chez's lament too. Like he would spend like 3 days working on a like a long think piece and yeah. he would put it up and then it would get no traffic. And then it would then he'd post a video the same day with 300 words in there. And then suddenly it would go bananas. <laughs> that yeah, was the, you, the shitty aspect of that, that situation. Yeah. And it, but it, it, it also, I think, it, you know, I think that system, like as much as, uh, you know, we, we had a lot of fun back in those days, but I, I think it also didn't necessarily encourage the best right. content, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I, so I really, really lo- love the email publishing platform mm-hmm. uh, because it, you know, I think it encourages um, the right kind of content, at least what I like to write about these days. Yeah. You know, I think like we've sort of evolved as a as a as a media outlet over the years mm-hmm. where, you know, there's a lot of outrage back in the day and, and um, you know, snarky writing. And I think it's, you know, now, now's the time to be a bit more thoughtful. Yeah. Uh, a bit more kind of calm in the approach uh and really take our time with pieces and 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 research them properly and not try to crank them out as quickly as we can yeah um and at least look i mean i can only speak for myself but it really it kind of suits my uh evolved um (laughs) position on on uh, journalism and on the media you know yeah oh my god i'm so there with you because it was it's always been difficult for me to write um, uh, headlines that were, I, I don't know, click worthy. Like the, the, I, I had a hard time writing clickbait headlines. Or just like yeah. I just I I understood what it took. I just couldn't. You know, like there's some words and some television shows and some kinds of music that you just can't bring yourself to wrap your head around it. You just, your brain, your emotions, everything doesn't let you do it. Well, that was the way I, and I, I'm still that way. So I am, I'm immensely grateful uh, for this kind of platform where it's more about the thoughtfulness and the information and the facts than it is about, well, how do I get the maximum number of people to click on this headline? Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I I um, I remember that always with with you would you would always be telling me you were like you know look I want to take my time with this piece and I don't feel comfortable with this headline and um and you, you know it was like equally I had, it was equally frustrated and and had so much respect for like your sticking to your principles and I'm like yeah but look we need to put it on Facebook and I fucking hate Facebook but we got to do yeah, it and you're I know. no not comfortable with this and you know <laughs> ultimately i think that your approach is that was the right one and now is you know and and that's how we're operating going forward maybe maybe you know I, i've evolved you know you know i've evolved over time to come to where you were uh five years ago <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean i understood the reasoning behind it and i i really really did and i respected the reasoning behind it because it's a competitive field and you there are a lot of things flooding the internet flooding social media and you have yeah. to stand out and it's why yeah. sabotage yourself by put, putting out a headline that is not going to get any views why write something if no one's going to look at it it seems counterproductive to me so in that respect i i totally get 
my problem is I just having come up from uh, an era in which I used to have to literally measure column inches uh, for to, to paste up, you know, like an old school newspaper using, you know, like hot wax and strips of paper. That's how we used to do it. And then we used to have to do use actual math to calculate the length of the headline, you know, shit like that. And that's that's just kind of how I'm wired. It's not that I was necessarily opposed to writing attractive headlines. I just couldn't do it. It just wasn't in my DNA. Right, right. But I, you know, and I, I think that there's something to be said for the old school craft, the old craft yeah. of creating real stories mm. with headlines that are kind of informative and not necessarily, you know, not misleading, right. not um, trying to grab your attention. You know, it's mm. not kind of like the National Enquirer. Um, you know, and 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 really having a kind of honest relationship with your readers, and that yeah. and that to me is more important now than than anything. You yeah. know, it's more important that we just have we built this trust and we built something that like we're all kind of proud of, as opposed to yeah. something that you know. When BuzzFeed came on the scene, it was it was. I mean, they really changed the game. BuzzFeed changed the game, and I think that you know I was and Gawker, <laughs> BuzzFeed and Gawker, yeah. Yeah, just horrified by what they were doing because it, it changed the game for everybody else. And you're like, mm. oh my god, okay, this is what's happening. Mm. You can't. There's nothing you can. You can't really argue against it because that's what's happening. Um, but it's not good. It's not healthy. Right. And I, I think that we did a pretty. I will say that I think at the banter we did a pretty good job of. We did not succumb to the buzz feedification of content no no we didn't no no everything was done uh, a little bit differently at the daily banter and i think in the best possible ways uh especially after i i've i've been around and seen up close how some other publications operated yeah mm. we had it down i think and and we may not have been the the biggest of the publishing websites politics websites but uh, I think we were one of the best. I think we had some of the best content going on. And and now the, the same goes for the banter at uh, Substack, the, the newsletter version of it. I, I think there's some wonderful content in there. And, uh, you know, again, it's... Uh, it's there's uh, there's a a risk and uh, an attraction to doing things that don't necessarily jive with your own integrity. <laughs> you know, it's That's very easy to sell yourself out doing uh, publishing online, but you never did that. And I don't think the Daily Banter ever did that. No, no, we and and now moving forward with you know the banter on on Substack, I think that like this sets us on a really good path. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, look, and the proof is that it's growing. Our subscriber base is just growing. It's month after month after month after month. It's not. Ex we're not having explosive growth, but we're having sustained growth, and I think that that is about because we're just you know we're doing what we love doing and we're doing it in a way that is sustainable to yep. us as well like mentally i mean i was completely burnt out by 2018 i i just i was just done really i was yep. completely shattered by the whole experience and and the kind of non-stop um publishing schedule that we set for ourselves yeah. it was just too much it was too much and I wasn't enjoying it anymore. And and I think now I'm, I'm actually, I'm at least, you know, I, I, I'm enjoying it. I'm really, really enjoying it. That's great. Hey. So, so great to hear. The website is thebanter.substack.com. Ben Cohen, thank you so much for coming on today, especially on short notice. Really appreciate it, my friend. Of course, Bob. Thank you so much, man. And and a big uh, shout out to all the listeners as well. Bob, your audience is, is amazing. I interact with a lot of them on Facebook. Awesome. And, uh, a real honor to be on the show. 
Thanks so much, my friend. We'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks, Bob. Bye-bye. Twenty twenty, a new year. It's the perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. But finding qualified candidates can be challenging. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than one hundred of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there with their powerful matching technology. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes and finds people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one, spotlighting the top candidates so you never miss a great match. It's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.